You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to The Dev Show. I'm Deborah Eckerling, author of Your Goal Guide and founder of The Dev Method, which is my system for goal setting simplified. My vision is to give you the tools, inspiration, and motivation you need to figure out what you want and help you make a plan to get it. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited because if you've been watching, you know that the theme in August is adventure. And what's more of an adventure than stepping outside of your comfort zone? I'm so thrilled today. I've got some wonderful guests. I've got Bobby Carlton from Innovation Women and Precious L. Williams, the killer pitch master, uh, who I must admit, this this conversation was kind of designed after I virtually met Precious. I'm like, got to be on the show. Got to be on adventure. Let's do this. And I am all set for an exciting conversation. And I hope you are too. I'm Deborah Eckerling. I'm author of your goal guide and creator of the Deb Method. I specialize in goal setting simplified and event outcome optimization. And every Sunday night, I lead the goal chat Twitter chat. And then on Mondays, I bring in friends to dive deep into the topic. So I'm so excited because Bobby is awesome, Precious is awesome, and you all, if you're tuning in, you are awesome because you're prioritizing yourself and your goals. And so, Bobby, let's start with you. Will you please introduce yourself to the people? Absolutely. I usually tell people I've got a whole bunch of jobs, which are really translating to a whole bunch of companies. Uh, the day job is a PR and marketing firm, and the night job is an events company in the Boston market for startups. But the dream job, and probably the reason I'm here, right, Deb, is Innovation Women. We're an online speaker bureau designed to directly connect event managers with awesome speakers who just happen to be women. And we are both all both on the Innovation Women platform. Surprising. Yes. yes Surprise. <laughs> well, you're and you've got such a wonderful body of knowledge on so many different things. And your spirit with what you talk about uplifting women and getting, you know, getting them out there and having them more stages. That is something apparently people are afraid to speak which is a little bit foreign to me, but we talk about getting on your out of your comfort zone. Speaking definitely comes to mind. So, Absolutely. And I was one of those people once upon a time. I'm actually an introvert and public speaking did not come particularly naturally to me, but if I can do it, anybody can. And you know that Precious and I both made the same exact face when you called yourself an introvert. It's true. That was hilarious. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so precious. Great, great to officially meet you. We've been we've been online friends for a little bit now. And yes, please we welcome. Have. 
and share who you are and why everybody needs to, to be talking to you about this topic. Okay, well, good evening, everyone. My name is Precious Williams. I'm the proud founder and CEO of Perfect Pitches by Precious. And if you ever want to know where the money resides, where the money resides, it resides in speaking and creating a killer sales pitch, elevator pitch, media pitch, investor pitch, sales pitch, or interview pitch that you can bait, attract, and close with. And as a 13-time national elevator pitch champion, a corporate trainer for the biggest companies in the world, and a four-time number one best-selling author, I'd say I know a little bit about speaking. I've been speaking since I was 16 years old. I'm proud to be 43, which means 27 years has passed in between that. And I love what I do. I'm, I'm trying to remember a time where I was so scared not even to get on stage, but I've been doing this since I was 16. And I love when women step into now and not allow weight, age, race, class, sex, sexual orientation, differently able or disability get in the way. Just show up as you are. You'll be amazed. Since most people are used to dealing with fake people, you just stand out and you're just white refreshing. So that's what I bring to the table. And, you know, I just work with a, with great women, entrepreneurs, speakers, entrepreneurs, and then big companies, foundations, and nonprofits. And tell me, how does one become an elevator pitch champion? Well, you know, you got to win some elevator pitches. But before we can even get there, you got to enter yourself into competitions. And so there's so many pitch competitions. There are competitions for tech companies, for non-tech, for beauty, uh, for health and wellness. And so because there's so many, I always encourage people who, who have businesses have got even $2.30 made made something to enter pitch competitions because it's not just about the money you can you can uh, win, but there are people in the audience. There's media usually there. There are investors there. And there are people who can literally change your life. When I entered my first competition, it's because I had, I had no money. And I had to prove to everyone that my company, my first company, Curvy Girls Lingerie, the ultimate shopping experience for full figure divas and plus size fashionista <laughs> was worth investing in, even though it's 327 pounds, even though I was a black woman, even though I didn't have an Ivy League degree. And so by pitching, it allowed me, to, it, it, it really opened up the world of business to me. So I always tell people, you ever met a full figure diva who took the business world by storm and won big? Well, now you have. I'm right here. And so I've trained over 300 pitch champions. They've gotten over they've got millions of dollars in investments in their companies. They're appearing on the Shark Tanks and the CNNs, the Forbes and all of that. And I'm a part of their journey because I'm I am positioning, packaging and pitching because most of us play in the wrong sandboxes and hope people will pay us. I'm like, but you're going after the people everybody else is going after. There are people who will handsomely pay you. You may need to be in a different industry. You may need to be in a different audience. And so I'm glad to be here because Bobby and I met years ago. In fact, my first book came out when I first met Bobby. I remember where we were. We were at PwC on Madison Avenue in New York City. Yeah, I remember Bobby. I remember. I was going to say that was your first book. Yep, I was 40 years old. My book had just come out that day. And remember, I only had like what, 20 copies and, and it was going like I, have I, one. I got and one I remember, of them. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, I didn't quite plan that out properly because I thought only two people would buy. I was, I'm a new author, so I didn't know. And I was also coming out of darkness. So I had no idea 
But that's when we first met. I was a keynote at the event, I remember. But I just, I look back and I'm like, speaking got me there. But also being a 13-time national champion. And my, my company wasn't tech. It was a lingerie company for women with a little bit more beating on their bones. And when people said we didn't matter, I was like, there were 40 million women like us. And by that, that's one of the ways I got on the Shark Tank season eight in 2016. That's so awesome. And that's why it's so important to step out of your comfort zone, because if you don't, <laughs> life stays the same. And it does. And it's real. And this is why I, I'm so, well, why I do a lot of things. You can't reach your goals on your own. You need to meet new people. You need to learn new things. And you need to have the education, knowledge, and contacts the community in order to elevate yourself so you can set the world on fire. Right. As it were, I shouldn't say that it's fire season, but you all you know what I meant. <laughs> so let, let's dial it back because I think you might have, I mean, the definition of what is your comfort zone is the same, but I'd love to know what it means to you both. What does it mean to step out of your comfort zone? Bobby? Hmm. So stepping out of the comfort zone is probably some of the stuff I did when I started my second company, because I spent most of my career behind the scenes. I mean, part of my job as a PR person was to shove other people on stage. In other words, nothing has changed, but I shove other people on stage and that allows them to shine, to share their messages, to make connections all of the things that public speaking does. So it never really occurred to me that I had to do it as well, even though I perfectly understood the benefits. I saw them on a constant basis. I was lecturing other people individually, of course, about the benefits of public speaking. And yet I really wasn't doing it myself. And when I started my second company, you know, kind of that first night, the jitters and everything else around the event it literally never occurred to me that I was going to have to step up and do the hosting and the MC duties myself. And that's what I did. I mean, that first night I sweated through my clothes. Thank God I was wearing a jacket over my shirt because my shirt was dripping and it was kind of darkish. So I'm, knock on wood, hoping nobody really saw how bad it was. But this was a social media powered event. So everybody had cameras, everybody's taking pictures. And I am literally a hot mess, a hot, sweaty mess. And looking back, I'm like, oh, we're never doing that again. Never, never, never. Of course, that was like 14 years ago. Did a little bit since then. <laughs> Just a little. It's a little bit. Just a little. So, you know, you see something like that and you're like, I can either stop everything I'm doing or I can get better at it. And I just kind of turned my training attention on myself. And I'm like, all right, you have to get better at this because it's not going to end or it's not going to end well if you don't. <laughs> I love that. So you can stop doing the uncomfortable things or you can get better at it. So you can flourish or you could go hide and you don't seem like the hidey type. Not anymore. No. <laughs> I got better at it. Remember? <laughs> yes. Oh no, you're awesome. And, and we do have, 
uh, in the comments. I don't know if you saw, we've got I Kirsten Rourke, because that is Bobby says. I love Kirsten. What's up, Kirsten? <laughs> yes. And, and yes, that is, and you even renamed your Friday Zooms to... Okay, I I don't know about the rest of you. I feel like I totally just had blinders on. I had been searching and searching and searching for the the magic name to the group. You know, we called it like Innovation Women Coffee or Coffee Chat. We call you know like all kinds of things, and it never occurred to me that it was really Speaker Friend Friday. And it made sense. And everybody and everybody's like, oh my god, of course it is. It's perfect. You so know, I talk it, a lot of time about speaker great. friends. What's that? The energy was always great, but when I saw speaker friends, I said, okay, okay, we going in now. We going in. <laughs> yes. You know, and it was like, oh, duh. You know, like seriously, <laughs> duh. Like right there in front of my face. But the community, the connection, you elevate and you help because that's what we're here. And you can't help others if people don't know you exist. So, what what does it mean to you other than, you know, let's put a picture of stepping out of your comfort zone, a picture of you next to the term stepping out of the comfort zone. What does it mean to you? I feel like I've been stepping out of my comfort, whatever comfort zone other people had all my life. I mean, I'm, I'm looking back over, Bobby was talking about, you know, speaking in I'm from the inner city of St. Louis, Missouri. And I, just because I kept watching the arts and entertainment channel, I watched Lifetime, especially the intimate portrait, any biography. I would sit and watch these historical figures, whether they were politicians or celebrities or whatever from back in the day. And I would imagine that I would be able to do those things. So I remember watching the um, biography of Aristotle Onassis, right? And figured out, oh, that's why they call it Jackie O. Okay, different story for different. <laughs> but he comes from the Greek garland of Scorpios. And watching his episode and a host of other shows, I said, I'm going to do that. When I make some money, this is me being a little girl. When I make some money, I'm going to charter a yacht. And when I know I made it, we're going to go to the Greek garland of Scorpios. We're going to eat that Greek food. We're going to do that. Well, as I kept getting older, I used to love watching Sally Jesse Raphael and Phil Donahue. I knew I was going to be a talk show host. Now, everything around me, or as Joe Olsen says in The Natural, it makes no sense to dream that big, right? I'm not a singer. I'm not a dancer. I'm not an actress. I'm not in sports, as people seem to think that that's what Black people can do. But I just knew that that was going to be me. And so as I told people, they're like, mm, mm, no. But I kept believing because I saw it, right? Even though I don't know what Scorpios looks like, I saw the yacht going to it. And so when I went to go live with my grandparents at 15 years old, my grandmother said I had the gift of speech. How is she at 15 years old, the only person to say that to me and encouraging me? And so when I started speaking at 16, before the mayor of the city of St. Louis, before the gov two different governors of Missouri, she knew and she spoke life into me. And it's because of her that I left home at 18 years old on a full scholarship to go to college, full scholarship to go to Georgetown, full scholarship to go to, to Rutgers and all the things that went wrong in, in all of those times. But I'm not comfortable being comfortable. And I know how to explain it. I'm not comfortable with that. Like, I don't know what it's like to rest on my laurels because I always had something more I was going for. And with the life circumstances and the challenges I've gone through, I started to realize that people are watching me 
not the way I thought they would. They're watching because they really see that I did it without entertainment or sports. I did it in business. And I also know that women who see me because I got a full figure body on me, I like to look good. And I like to show people, hey, I got a famous Hollywood actor. And I was 327 pounds. That don't make no kind of sense. But that inspired my company that no one believed in. And I kept pushing and pushing. And the next thing I know, we were successful. And then going on Shark Tank, I wasn't afraid of the sharks at all. I thought they should have been afraid of me because I wasn't afraid. I was like, I'm about to show you how it was done. And so I've never really felt comfortable just relaxing and be like, oh, I, I you know, that's not me. But I also think it's because I'm the only one who made it out of St. Louis and my family. I'm the only one. And so I know they're watching and I'm going to put on the show regardless. But I love knowing that my story is not about me anymore. And that if you think you've gone through bad things, you may look at celebrities and all these other people and be like, man, they, they always had the right people. They had the right money. Well, no, some of them did and some of them didn't. But you have stars around you that you don't even know who are doing it without all of that or they made things happen. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at. So, uh, first of all, amazing. Second of all, I boiled I boiled your answer down to this one line: is <laughs> not being afraid of the future you want. Mm-mm, no, just going for it. Yeah, and 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 again, I know that sounds sounds easy, but I had to have eyes on the prize. If I'm going to be on television, what do I have to do? So I, I realize as a as a black woman, and not to not to bring race into every conversation, but there aren't that many that people can say, name, name 10, 15, 20 uh, speakers or business owners that aren't attached to like entertainment or whatever. How many can you name that are black? Most people cannot. Or who started with nothing and did it? And so I'm, I'm not afraid to show you. It, it was rough. It was some hard times. It was some eating out of the garbage can. It was some oodles and noodles. It was a whole lot of things that went wrong to, before it ultimately went right. And so I don't want to just talk about my future anymore. I'm living it today because of the decisions I made in the past. So I have to ask, well, I don't have to, but I'm going to anyway. What is your comfort zone versus what is your discomfort zone? You want me to go, Bobby? Oh, Brad, I'm thinking on that one. My discomfort zone is when I'm in situations where I feel disrespected, ignored, kicked to the curb. That's discomforting to me. It's not that I walk in and say, oh, I'm precious. You got to recognize. No, no, no. There have been situations that I've been in where my exterior had people thinking I had a lot of kids multiple baby daddies that like you can't see that I have education. Like when I'm walking down the street, people are like, oh my goodness, it looks like she's a lawyer. They don't say, that's not what they they, they generally see. Uh, so I've walked into situations, not so much anymore, where people will have this whole impression of me or, or assume I'm the help. And I'm like, no, no, no. You see me at the table, don't you? This is where I belong. And so it makes them uncomfortable, but it's like, I'm I'm through. When I hit turn 40, I was through having to prove myself. I am through asking for permission to be anywhere. I belong, as my queen, uh, Kelly Trust Collins says, I belong everywhere I, I am at, but I don't belong everywhere. 
I like that. I belong everywhere where I'm at. I don't belong everywhere. Yeah, because so, I'm not for everybody. I'm not. And I know that. <laughs> but I think Elon Musk and, and Mark Zuckerberg and all these other people would say, I ain't for everybody. However, I don't run my life by likes. I run it by the respect given when I've demonstrated who I am and the, the brilliance and the talent that I bring to the to the table. And so I'm not looking at everybody like they competition. I'm looking at them like we all got something to contribute. Let's go. And so that is your comfort zone then is contributing. To the boldly. Life that you, boldly. 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 Ha, I love it. Okay. Do we give you enough time to think, Bobby? Oh, yeah. So about to light it up. You're, yeah. When you're talking about discomfort, my areas of discomfort are almost always driven by my own lack of knowledge. So if I don't feel like I know something, I'm uncomfortable because I ha there's the potential to be surprised. You know, I'm a public relations person, right? From, you know, early on in my career, my job was always to prepare my clients. Nobody wants the surprise question. You know, I'm probably dating myself, but the Mike Wallace jumping out of the hedges with a microphone saying, you know, some question that you're not prepared for is always every public relations person's biggest nightmare. So that's one of the reasons that I am so concerned with sharing knowledge. You know, uh, earlier on, uh, Kirsten was saying, that I always say speakers need speaker friends. And that's because only other speakers, I feel like, can share the knowledge and share the experience that they've had with other speakers. You know, if you haven't been on stage, if you haven't negotiated the contracts, if you haven't done the work to get yourself from the audience onto the stage, you don't know the challenges. You don't really understand what the issues are. Uh, when I first started kind of thinking about innovation women and, and well, what eventually became innovation women, I was sitting in the audience with a lot of other women looking at what I call the male pale and stale panels, the same four old white guys over and over again. And, you know, women that I'm talking to in the audience, because because we're chatting, because we've heard these stories before. It's like, how do you get yourself up there? I'm like, well, there's a process and a way to go about it. And there's things that we can do. And we can teach you how to do that. It's not hard. Just take some persistence. So knowledge is power. So And comfort. <laughs> well, so discomfort. You know what? Discomfort know zone what is not knowing the things. The comfort zone is knowing the things. Yes. That makes complete sense. And so how do you, so it became your mission basically to shake things up. Yep. Which is also Precious's mission to shake things up. So how do people who aren't, yeah, let's all high five. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Yes. And if you're you're listening to this as the Dev Show podcast, we have just did a triple high five. It was <laughs> awesome. Watch the video. For the people who aren't used to shaking things up, let us impart some knowledge. <laughs> what do you do? What is that first step for shaking up? Because part of 
stepping out of your comfort zone is knowing what's next, but not knowing what's next. And I'm talking in circles, but I know you know what I mean. Absolutely. And I think asking the questions is really where you have to start and being comfortable enough in your own lack of knowledge to ask the questions. And it's like, I will fully admit, I do not know everything. So what do I do? I go out and find the people that have the answers and I ask them questions. One of the things we've done with Innovation Women is we created a webinar series called Ask the Event Manager. Who's in there asking the questions? Yeah, this girl right here. Like, I'm a fool. (laughs) Well, you need the curiosity, but you also need to want a better life, right? I I I think I think so. And and sometimes, Bobby, there aren't people to ask because you might not be around people who know, right? Mm -hmm. So me becoming an attorney, okay, college, law school, okay, pass the bar. Okay, that's just the beginning. What happens when you don't love what you thought you've been working your whole life for? You know, to at least have your Perry Mason, your Johnny Cochran for Glove Doesn't Fit moment and realizing you are so far away from that. But the thought of going 20, 30 years in a profession you don't even like. Mm. I, I remember sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness, I don't want this. And for years, it was kind of like this one toe in, one, one foot in, one foot out. You know, and starting Curvy Girls, there was, I, I mean, I didn't know anyone who went from like law into like intimate apparel. I didn't know that person, right? And so one of probably the wasn't did, that person, right? But you know what? Well, Bobby, you said something important asking <laughs> questions, though. So I, one thing I did do that I'm kind of shocked I did. So I went on LinkedIn and I was like, help! I want to start a lingerie company and I don't know how. You would think nobody would pay me any attention. This queen, Marie Forno Hart out of Tempe, Arizona. We were talking on the phone because she responded. She was like, precious, you know, you sound like a, a, you know, a a nice young woman. She said, you know what? There are lingerie showrooms on Madison Avenue. Now, you know, I hang around the New York Public Library at 34th and Madison. I didn't know what she was talking about because I never saw anything on ground level. She said, yeah, because they're private. They're on higher floors. So what she did is she made some calls and got me appointments. And when I walked into some of these places, I could not believe that one question led to the door being opened. And then I went to the Curve Expo. But let's go back. I remember sitting there and people were like, you've got a good job as an attorney. It's stable. I look back, thank God I got out because you're looking at what's happening today and in 2008 with the when, when things went crazy with um, housing market. Like I literally was on my way out and it was like pushing me, but there was still one foot in, one foot out. And when I started winning competitions, that made it easier, but I didn't know how to let go of Precious L. Williams Esquire. Oh, I didn't know how to let it go. It's gone now. It's been gone for years because my identity was tied into being this attorney from St. Louis. And now as I look back, you know, I knew I wanted better. But my story wasn't tied to me. It was tied to just because I couldn't find nice lingerie in my size. And, you know, I had a good looking man. Come on now. I knew that there were women who didn't even know that they could dare to dream. Like whatever they saw out there, that's what they took. And I was like, I ain't that chick. 
I want to create something sexy, stylish, and fashion forward, even if I don't know how to draw. I still don't know how to draw. But we made it happen. And so asking questions and also not being afraid to go against the grain and, and just like confidence, just like anything of speaking, the muscle works when you keep using it repeatedly, you get better and better. And so when I tell people today, when they come up to me and no, I mean, you were helped precious. I get what you're saying. There's only 24 hours in a day. I have to focus on business generating money, generating activities. In addition to me volunteering with the Bowery Mission, Dress for Success, um, Bottomless Closet, anything to help women in transition. But I can't do everything under the sun. So it is my life and I have to decide where's the best use of my energy while still making sure that the women that I'm speaking to know that their next beautiful now starts today with the decision that you make that it's going to be messy. It's going to be ugly. You're not going to have clarity for a while. But you still move through it, not not over it, not you move through it. And then things start to become clear. So our Queen Bobby just said, knowledge is power, but applied knowledge is deadly. Because a lot of people got a lot of knowledge, but they don't do anything with it. So that applied knowledge makes all of us on this on this, uh, this show deadly. Because I'm not afraid to get out there and do, the, do some heavy lifting. The, the more questions you ask now, and the more you ask for now, the less you'll have to later because people start giving it to you. Well, I am a firm believer, as are obviously both of you, that the we deserve to be happy. You know, we 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 don't use like to use the word should, but we should have the best possible life because if we're not going for it, what's the point? Which is why it, a lot of what I do, you know, you can't get what you want unless you know what that is. So it starts by thinking to the future and then building to make the future the present. So let's go back because I want to talk a little bit more about the speaking thing and the pitching thing because I think a big challenge people have is they get so stuck in their head, they stay stuck. Mm -hmm. So how do you get out of your head? Answer in any and all order, both of you. Um, well, let's start with pitching yourself, because I'm sure Bobby has two or three or 20 cents on this as well. Uh, how do you get enough out of your head to pitch yourself the best way possible? I've actually got a somewhat controversial theory that I've been Ooh, espousing lately. Yeah, hot tea. All right. It. What if, this is a big if, there really is no such thing as being frightened of public speaking, of stage fright, that it is just a myth that was created to keep us off stage. Ooh. See, I and we all believe this myth, so we've created this terror of being on stage and we get nervous and we... If you're me, you get sweaty and disgusting because you believe the myth. What if that's the case? Wouldn't that be interesting? That's why. So it's like, ah. I, I, I feel like I'm blown. I feel like you just walked on the moon. I'm just sitting here like, Jigga who? 
Uh, well, first of all, now I did competitive public speaking in, in a high school, but mostly, I mean, that was my social life in college is I went to these forensics tournaments. And for me, the thought of speaking is joy. And I know that that's not the way most people view it. But, but is that the case because they've been conditioned to believe that speaking is scary? And what if we just did away with the whole fear of public speaking? Like, we've all heard the stories about how more people are afraid of public speaking than they are of dying. So there's a group of people that say, I would rather die than step on that stage. But what if they've just been conditioned to believe that? Bobby, that wouldn't that wouldn't even shock me because I think about a lot of the queens that I've been around who have been conditioned to think that if they are not thin, if they have some gray hairs or they're differently able, they're not supposed to be seen. So they bought that Kool-Aid. And so when you get on that stage, you're there for all to see. And just like with social media, you're putting things out there. People can attack. They can do all these sort of things. And it's like, y'all can, y'all can go along with that. The people that I admire the most are the ones who go against the grain, who decide that nevertheless, we're going to go out here and we're going to do this. Think of, and my, um, there's a friend I have, his name is Andrew Frazier. He's like, he said, running a business, run your business like a drug dealer. The drug dealer is not selling to everybody. He has a target market. So he's not out there talking to grandmas. He's not out there. He knows exactly who his target market is. And he sells specifically to them. They know where to go find them. They know when they call. They know, right? And they run that they know the maybe not high level of customer service. They they know the because they're not speaking to everybody. I'm not like just I'm just gonna hang out and somebody's gonna rent. I don't even know that cat. He's not a regular, he's not we don't know that person. What what you're saying resonates with me, Bobby. Because being in, you know, the inner city, the hood, the ghetto, whatever you want to call it, what I saw around me was, I don't want to say like learned helplessness, but this is the best that it can be. But I knew from watching the arts and entertainment channel as a young person, don't even know why I was watching. I was just fascinated with what was beyond my window. What was beyond St. Louis? I used to teach a girls empowerment course at Grand Window, which is a nonprofit. And the young ladies were in the seventh and eighth grade. And I'm teaching girls empowerment. And I was 327 pounds. You know, these girls used to ask me what where my clothes came from. Now I'm thinking they're trying to dip. They're like, no, you look like a, a little girl came to me. She said, I found a word, conservative. You dress like a lady. Because they knew the difference, but they had never gone from 141st and Frederick Douglass to Central Park, they had never been. It's 30, 40 blocks away. They had never been. And that told me, you can believe this is all there is, but there's so much more beyond this neighborhood. You can watch all reality shows. You're like, oh man, if I only I had been born. If I, and it's like, baby, you can have it, but it's going to require divorcing your mind of just what you see here and see when that third eye of what's really possible and going for it. Yeah, people going to dog you. They're going to talk about you like a dog, like who you think you is. And you're like, baby, I know who I am and whose I am. I got to keep eyes on the prize, just like Olympic athletes, whether they come from great circumstances or low circumstances, they want to win that gold medal. 
They're going to show up early and leave late. They're going to be like Kobe Bryant. They're going to be playing for hours and days or whatever because they're going to do it. But they have to know that it really is possible. And it's not just for a select group of people. Okay, so I feel like we lost track of the question, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, uh, let, let's move backwards and then we'll go forward. So what do we do to dispel the myth of public speaking? Just go around telling the world that it's not scary, it's fun, it's no, joyful. No, 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 we expose the conspiracy. That's okay. what I'm talking about. Go ahead, Bobby. All right, so we expose the conspiracy. So... My theory, and this is totally made up, is <laughs> that we are used to seeing the male, pale, stale leaders, the, the same four old white guys as mm -hmm. leaders because they are elevated by the stage. And somewhere long ago, the people who had the stage said, I like it up here. I am elevated. Everybody listens to me. So... I'm going to tell the rest of the people that this is a scary place. So they won't want to take this from me. So this is where my conspiracy theory comes from. So if we have the power brokers saying, well, this is a scary place. You wouldn't like it here. Who would want to storm the stage? Who would understand? Like, we need to make sure that everybody understands the power that exists on being on stage, the benefits that exist that you get from being on stage. Everything from the connections you make, the, the job and career benefits, the ability to pitch your company, to get more funding, to get more media attention. Like, there's all these great benefits to public speaking. And it has to be more beneficial than the fake terror that somebody put out in the marketplace to keep us from our stages. So that's my theory. That's my conspiracy theory. You heard it here first. I, I love that conspiracy theory. And I also think what, what you're doing with Innovation Women is exposing that too. You have women who want to be speakers, you have experienced speakers, you have intermediate speakers, but I noticed that I'll listen to every question because there are women who are saying that, that there are benefits they never thought. They're thinking, oh, well, you know, you're just on stage. And it's like, you actually become the celebrity of your brand on stage. And so people treat you differently. It's not like, I, there's a woman who put something on social media. She was like, um, Tony Robbins, Mel Robbins, Marie Forleo and all of them aren't the only speakers in the world. There, there are women from all, women and men from all different races, hues, colors, backgrounds that need to be in those conversations. And Bobby, that is what you are doing is showing the depth and breadth of the speakers that are there. And we're all learning from each other. You have women on there. I'd like to do TEDx. I was told this and immediately all of us started going in and being like, even though TEDx's are different for in different places, there's some things that are critical that you must know and not listen to people who've never done it. 
you have real people in there that that know certain things and are able to share. Yes, you can get money. Yes, you can sell books and programs. Yes, you'll even have VIPs because they've never seen you speak the way you do and say, that's what we need to shake, shake the tables here at this organization. That's what we need at this. Nonprofit. That's actually one of the things that TEDx has done for a lot of people. It's demonstrating mm -hmm. good speaking skills. And there's actually somebody who put a comment, uh, Deb, in the Facebook saying they don't believe that people are being kept from the stage. And, you know, I am absolutely being a little facetious and outrageous. Uh, but I will say that there has been real work done in terms of determining who it gets on stage and who doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. Isabeau in 2014 to 2019 looked at more than 60,000 speakers and two thirds of them were men which meant that you're talking about literally thousands of thousands more men than there were women on stage. I have actually gone to so many different conferences where less than a third of the women or less than a third of the speakers are women and a very, very small percentage of those women or of men were people of color. You have tremendous imbalances in the industries. And the more that you see a certain thing on stage, the more you believe that that is right. Yep. Which, absolutely not right. We need to get more representation on stage. And I have nothing against old white guys. I'm married to one. <laughs> Admittedly, he was not an old white guy when I married him. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, we have to hear many different voices and it's not just women. It is not just people of color. We need to hear people from different socioeconomic stratas. We need to hear people who are coming to the stage with disabilities over the past two and a half years. One of the things that has happened is because a lot of us are doing speaking engagements this way is you are seeing a whole new group of speakers out there. I think it was seven or eight years ago, I went to South by Southwest just after I broke my leg. Okay. I had a walking boot. I was kind of upright, admittedly pretty slow and pretty clumsy. And I spent an enormous amount of money on pedicabs. I covered a tiny fraction of the space that I usually cover because I wasn't mobile. And I was thinking to myself, what if I was trying to do South by Southwest in a wheelchair? What if I was trying to do it on crutches? Mm. I was fortunate in that I was able to walk and kind of and get around. But it really made me appreciate how difficult conferences and events in particular can be for someone with any type of mobility issues. So now being able to do speaking engagements from here, just to attend hybrid or online conferences from here, from my chair, from my house, it makes a huge difference. Women turn down many speaking opportunities because they work for smaller companies. If you go and look at the labor, the um, labor statistics, women are more likely to work for, for smaller companies. We're more likely to work part-time and we're still more likely to be responsible for kids and home. All things that keep us from saying yes when we're invited. And oh, by the way, we don't get invited as often. 
You know why? Because the people who get invited to speak are often the C-level executives. Go look at the Fortune 500. How many of the Fortune 500 executives, CEOs, are women? Tiny little percentage. Mm. So, all right, stepping back off my soapbox. Was it fun up there? Yes. Ha. I mean, well, she was just dropping knowledge right there. Like, no, I love it. And and I'm excited because, well, Bobby knows how much I love virtual events. Part of what I'm doing now with event outcome optimization is you're going to the events, you might as well get something out of it. So that's been been my little dead soapbox because there's the influx and the availability. But so many people come back from events with, oh, I met three people or, oh, wait, I have notes here. No, go get all the knowledge you can, make all the relationships you can. And with the virtual component, it makes it also so much easier to continue those conversations as well. So one of the things when you're on stage, at least this is what happens to me, no matter what stage I'm on, I'm walking off with people who are you know, we would love to have you come speak here, Precious. What do we need to do to make that happen? What are your rates? And I'm like, now years ago, that did not happen. But now it's nothing. It's nothing for that, like, to walk out with four or five paid speaking engagements from one. I'm just standing there just doing my thing and just showing people. And, and, and this is for others, too, right? There are people who are listening with a different ear, like, we need a little of that here. We need yeah. something like that here. And uh, Bobby was with me for TEDx Babson. Bobby, I'm just going to show it because you know I love showing TEDx Babson. Nice. And, th- and things things went wrong that I didn't even notice. I heard something, but didn't even notice. And and her with her, the Queen Bobby with just understanding that my mic failed. I didn't notice. I'm just going out doing my thing. They were still recording though. That's all they I were cared still about. recording. But people, when they watch TEDx Babson versus my first TED talk, which they love that, but the TEDx Babson thing, even with the click, click, click of the the thing bouncing against my leg, there was a difference in how that message received with a bigger audience and people understanding that yes, you can have the Harvard, Yale, Stanford professors, you can have all these other people, but the people that really stood out in my opinion, where you can melt the academic, the personal, and all of that to that particular topic. And when people watch it, I still get people who email me today like, yo, can you come speak here? And then I'll be like, you have to speak to my agent. You have an agent? <laughs> yeah, because what you're trying to do, you might be like, I'll buy 10 books and you can come. Nah, my agent don't play. But I didn't have an agent always. I didn't have her always. But now she feels those things. And the things I didn't think I needed back in the day, I need it now because there's no way to balance all that I do. And so she handles her business and we work together to do what we do. And so, and I think about innovation women, when I'm able to be on on Fridays, it is, it's like refreshing to my soul. It's refreshing. I can come out of a doctor's office. Remember, Bobby? I was in the doctor's office just listening. I got to go, y'all. I got to do this. And every time I came back on, it was just music to my ears because I'm around women, whether they're starting or experienced, and I'm learning and I'm I'm eating it up like a sponge. Yeah. And so, there's a lot that of knowledge that comes through connecting with other people who have done something before. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like these days we look at all of the different things that we have to do. You know, we have to know social media. We have to know how to use these computers. We have to learn about all these different tools, websites, all of this stuff. And sometimes we are, you know, running a little bit ahead of formal education. So we have to have the connections to people who have either done it before or have the ability to figure it out. And, you know, again, I look at ways that women are disadvantaged. You know, it's like we take a little bit of time out of our careers, perhaps to have children. You know, that is a disadvantage. Uh, If you look at any of the data around things like wages, you know, it's like women are making 20 cents on the dollar or 80 cents on the dollar to men's wages and the numbers get worse if you're a woman of color. So that means when crazy pandemic hits, you know who takes a step back on their career because, hey, somebody's got to stay home and make sure that your kindergartner knows how to log on to Zoom? The ladies. So again, we are getting the short end of the stick when it comes to so many different things. You know, if you have a smaller salary and it takes, you know, two people to make a salary to pay for housing with in runaway inflation right now. Who's going to take the step back? Who's going to drop down to part-time status? The person who makes $100,000 a year or the person who makes $80,000 a year? Like these are the economic decisions that people are making that are impacting women's careers and the ability for women to be successful. If I need to get myself on stage in order to pitch my company, to get funding, and oh, by the way, let's talk about VC money, venture capital, okay? Less than 3% of venture capital goes to women-founded companies. Three, one, two, three percent. That's nuts. We're half of the population. Why does that happen? So many theories. But if I can get women, more women on stage, if I can convince them that it's a good place to be, even with my silly conspiracy theories, I'm going to do that. Because that is the thing that will get them out there, get them pitching their companies, getting them to be connected with the right people who will give them money to fund their dreams. And I think, Bobby, to make it clear for everyone who's listening today or who's listening in replay, Innovation Women has so many speaking um, opportunities listed on the site. Like I looked through today and I was like... Four hundred today. I'm a little scared for my life. Like you think, oh, you know what's in your neighborhood? There are so many around this nation who are looking for speakers. And if you don't even know that they exist, she aggregate. I mean, uh, uh, the uh, innovation women aggregates them. You, at you know, being on the platform, I'm able to say, hey, I'm speaking here. I'm speaking here. And then being on the Facebook group, sharing things like it has been a game changer. And you know, there are certain places that maybe only have tea. Y'all got a lot. Both I, I, I'm like, where all these come from? It was just yesterday. You know, so that's why I love innovation women. And I'm, I'm proud to 
I'm proud to be a member of Innovation Women, and I'm also proud of watching women succeed at speaking. And you asked the question about what was your first speaking and speaking engagement like? None of us, I don't think anybody can say it was so perfect. I did everything crisp. I, you know, even when I was 16, I know I was good, but I'm probably sure I dropped the ball on some things. Plus, I was waiting for my rubber chicken, rubber steak, rubber fish dinner, you know? I have to add one thing, just a little, this is what's occurred to me. I know about innovation women because of a guy. So our our mutual friend, Keith Spiro, oh, yeah. is the one who introduced me to Bobby and said, if because he knows um, how much I love to talk, one part, but, um, when I was, because my book came out six weeks before the pandemic and I'm like, okay, I was in that. So this book that was released to help people embrace change by choice or circumstance came out six weeks before the world was befelt by circumstance. And he said, you know, Deb, you really need to meet Bobby and become a part of Innovation Women. So you do have male champions as well. We also have men on the platform. We have male allies on the platform. I, I, I noticed I noticed a couple on, on Fridays. I definitely saw that. Yep. Yeah. We also have a number of people who are non-binary. We have mm -hmm. a number of trans members. You know, it's like what kind of diversity, equity, inclusion platform would I be running if I turned anybody away? But you know, I usually tell people we've got a couple thousand really awesome women and a handful of really secure guys, you know, and it's like there's you cannot be doing business in a room with just women. You need to be welcoming in many, many kinds of people and many different people. People need to have diverse networks. And quite frankly, we often don't. We spend a lot of time usually with people who look like us. And that means that our reality is colored or not colored by who we hang out with. So the more diverse we make our worlds, perhaps the better we are at opening our eyes to what's going on. You know, it's funny. I went to a conference down in Florida a few years ago where I was invited specifically to moderate a panel because they had so few women quote unquote, in the industry. And I was like, I don't believe you oh, have so yeah. few women in that industry that you need to invite me. But I went because I'm like, all right, let me see this. Okay. There were so few women at this event that every time I walked into the ladies room, the lights would go on. Every when time, three day conference. And part of it is because it's an industry that is deeply technical and they keep running these events and they show the pictures of the events and you see so few women that if I was looking at their website, I would say, I'm not going to that. I am obviously not welcome. So, you know, these things are self-perpetuating. And when we get on stage, we get more speaking engagements. You already said that precious. You know, it's like when you get up there and you do a bang up job, somebody's like, here, come and do that at my company here. Here's my card. Come and speak at my conference. How many so, books you got? You got more? Because we can buy more women. Yeah. The more women who speak, the more people, the more women who will speak. And 
just as the same thing. If we keep seeing the same people on stage, we will keep seeing the same people on stage. Speakers get perpetuated. You speak at one conference, you'll speak at the next conference and the next one. And actually that ends up being one of the reasons that another reason that a lot of women say no, they become the female face of an industry. Everybody invites them until they're like, I'm done. I can't, I don't have time for this. I got to run my company. So because there are fewer women in a position of power and a position of visibility, the same ones get out over and over again. It's, it's part of the challenge of breaking into the circuit and becoming a known figure. People ask same people over and over and over again it's because they see them do a good job or they become known. So we have to keep breaking new speakers into the circuit. It's so true, Bobby. I've been in, how many times I've been to Boston? I, I, I'm coming back three times in September. Like that, what? I didn't go to Boston before as much as I have in the last two years. It doesn't make but sense. But you come up, you get known. Like, I'll be like, mm -hmm, now I'm in Worcester. I'm in Back Bay or whatever. They, like I am. All I the fancy places. Indiana. Why am I in Indiana <laughs> for five times last year? Why am I in D.C. three times this year? It's like, yo, we heard we want to bring you in. I'm like, mm -hmm, I'm coming with the wickedness. And that's what it, it pays to be known. But yes, there does become that point where you're like, um, I do have a company to run into. So, yeah, there's a point where you got to turn some down. Mm -hmm. So I've got some. a question for Killer Pitchmaster. Okay. So uh, how do you stand out? How do you break that mold? Uh, how do you get in there if people don't know you exist yet? One of, so to to really stand out, I paid attention to the type of content that I put out, right? So as a killer pitch master, of course, I slay all competitions. So the type of content that I'm putting out about pitching, I had to elevate pitching from some, for something that people only thought you did on Shark Tank or for media attention and show how you use it in everyday language. We talk about that no good man, no good woman in your life, job you love, job you hate, and show that if you add strategy, cunning, and precision, there's not a VIP you can't get to. There's not speak. There are people who would love to pay you because you're shaking the tables and you're shaking things up. You're not giving them what they hear every year. You have a fresh perspective, so put it out there. I remember when I wrote my first book, Bad Bitches and Power Pitches. I had the idea three years before we actually put the book out and I put it, you know, just tested on social media. And, I was like, and there were a lot of women's groups that were like, that's so crass. I mean, we have to resort to cursed words. And I'm like, but it rhymes. Oh my but God. It, but, but that's three years that I let it go. And I remember meeting Sharon Monet. She was just like, when that book coming out, I didn't know how to write an outline for the book. Right. But I knew the title and she said, it's time two and a half months later, put it out thinking two people are going to buy number one bestseller. So moving past what people, what the general audience says that they like, they like respectability politics. They like these things. Yet you watch a reality show, people getting thrown all over the place. The thing that I brought that was unique to the marketplace. And I think that I think we, we often forget is there's a market who wants you as you are. Think about, you know, Mindy Colling or, Issa Rae or Sarah Bakley, like there is an audience that does not know you exist, but they're ready for you. 
So step into that. And when you think about packaging, I never show up the same. My hair is going to be different. Bobby saw me at the TEDx. I had blonde locks. Blonde locks. I think when you met me in um, uh, PWC, my hair was different. I like to show up colorful. I like to show up bold because that represents my brand. I am not muted. I am not a background figure. I walk in like I'm Beyonce. Like I'd be like, okay. I expect certain things. And so my personality being bold the way it is and putting things out there that will shake things up and then showing up as I really am means something. Did I say everybody likes it? No. But the same way we look at the Elon Musk and the Mark Zuckerberg, oh, genius. But he can show up in a sweat, uh, in, in a in a hoodie. I wish I would show up in a hoodie. They put me, they escort, escort me from the building. So I got to be professional and bold. At the same time, your content can't sound like regurgitated guru stuff. There are many great motivational speakers. I am not one of them. I am the killer pitch master, a.k.a. the pitch queen, because I've mastered all forms and have success with my clients in all forms of pitching. Communication skills. How do you even get in front of those people? You, When you're blessed to be on that stage or you're given 30 seconds to introduce yourself, you better bless the microphone and give them a reason to keep staring. So they don't say the name and your name and the name of your company. That's boring. Ask a question. Put out a starting statistic or a quote. They'll go from doing this because they've heard every pitch and like. What'd she say? I think she just said a curse word. And I, I, was, I think I was kind of feeling it because I'm clutching pearls. But you got their attention. So you got to interrupt the pattern of the boring every day. You can scroll on LinkedIn. I'm sure everybody's selling something. There are certain things that stand out to you. Why is that? Because they're going against the grain or they're showing you. What's the next step of the process where everybody's here with the pandemic? What comes afterwards? Talk to that. Talk about the things that are coming, because instead of talking about the here and now, what's the next step of the process? Show them that you are not regurgitating. You're an originator. You're a creator. And don't let money stand in the way or lack thereof, because sometimes when your back is against the wall, you come out swinging. And your best stuff can come out when you're hungry and not when you just like, oh, you know, I'm cool. I just give them a little bit. You bless the microphone. And so standing out, the clothes you wear, how do you show up as your brand? How do you, are you persistent? Because persistence beats resistance. And also the people who are saying no to you today will be in your inbox tomorrow. So much good stuff. Make an impression. Be unique. It be you like. I love the way you just got that. That's what we do. Right? Yes. Well, it's a... First of all, I love this conversation because there's so many different facets of it. And it really does fall under the blanket of getting out of your comfort zone. Because if we wanted to be in our comfort zone, we would not be paying attention. We would not be tuning in. We would not be looking to make our lives better, but also the lives of others. So it's, it's really go back to being you, but the amped up you. Get rid of that filter, right? And just keep moving forward because they can't catch you. Ah! I would before we wrap today. I would love for you both to gift a goal to the people, whether they're they're watching live or the replay or listening to this as a Deb Show podcast. What is something that they could do today, tonight, tomorrow to step out of their comfort zone? Bobby, do you want to start? 
Sure. I mean, because you know what I'm going to say. I, Go I out have and a find feeling. a stage. Yes. All right. Here's how you do this. All right. Mm-hmm. You go and you Google the words call for speakers and your expertise, whether you're a marketer, a lawyer, a public relations person, a developer, you can find a conference or an event that is looking for you. They are actually putting out a call for speakers. That's the basic currency of speaking at conferences and events these days. Get yourself on stage, get comfortable on that stage and own that stage. Own the stage. Cause if you're there, you might as well make that impression, right? Own it. Love it. Uh, what about you, Precious? What goal do you want to gift? Um, actually two. Number one, I love this. Fortune favors the bold. So if you want to be average, random, and ordinary, you stay doing what you're doing. But it takes courage, tenacity, and determination to be bold and to go out there and do it. Number two, I teach this to my clients. You need to have 150 reasons why somebody should hire you, book you, refer you, buy from you. You need to have 150 reasons why. The first 10 or 15, you can probably figure out on your own. And then I want you to go into your network, your trusted network. I'm not talking about your mama and your family, but your trusted network of individuals who've had some kind of pulling your life and ask them, why would they hire you for something? Why would they refer you and write down what they're saying? Because the way we talk to ourselves is not how others really see us. I might think, yeah, I'm just great at pitching, but I'm not hired because of pitching. Contrary to most, what most people believe. Most people will say most people who book me will say it's my energy. And it's unmatched. It's the energy I bring to what I'm teaching and I give a fresh perspective on things. So we start asking your network the questions of why would they hire you? Why would they refer you and stuff like that? Put it all down on paper and look at it in the morning and at night. And when you start to get objections from people or you start to they start to hesitate, think back to some of the things that your network told you. And finally, when you had that list together, I want you to teach your network how to pitch you to others. And and that everybody knows everybody. So you can teach them how to pitch you. And that's how you enter and exit boldly. That's awesome. It's like a bonus goal. And well, the reason that I like it, first of all, most of, of the work that I do is all brainstorming and figuring things out on paper because when you try and figure things out in your head it doesn't quite work that way right so i i love i love the list and the other the other thing for the list is to keep it hosted so when you need that burst to remember why you're doing what you're doing it is there readily available for you and such such a great conversation. I, I hate to see it end. I think we probably should wrap. We've been going over an hour. <laughs> My awesome friends. Before we wrap, where can people find you? And then I'd love for you to leave our audience with a final tip. So, Precious, where can people find you? Okay. Well, again, everyone, my name is Precious Williams. I'm the proud founder and CEO of Perfect Pitches by Precious. My website is www.perfectpitches.com. By precious.com. 
You can also find me on LinkedIn at Precious L. Williams, killer pitch master. Always got to stay on brand. Always got to stay on brand. And if you want to check out my books, I have a triple threat pitch book bundle with my first three books. You can go to my website again, www.perfectpitchesbyprecious.com and find my triple threat pitch book bundle. And if you like what you heard, my newest book comes out in September 2022. It is called The Pitch Queen. Y'all see me on my throne. I'm, I think I have to retire to kill a killer pitch master. I'm on a throne now. And so this is the story of how I got to where I am. And so I want you to own your zone of genius. And you're going to read some stuff in here and be like, precious, I never knew. I'm like, yeah, I embrace all my flaws and my mistakes. And I still got here regardless. So you can get this book on perfect at perfectpitchgroup.com. That's how you can get in contact with me. You want to work one-on-one with me, group training. You want to hire me to speak, go to www.perfectpitchesbyprecious.com. Check out my books. Let's get it popping. Awesome. And I will add, if you go to the devmethod.com slash blog, you can get the recap and the replay and some of the highlights from our conversation as well as the links to Precious and Bobby. So Bobby, where can people find you and more about Innovation Women? Innovationwomen.com. So very easy to find us. Check it out. We have a ton of resources for people who are interested in public speaking and interested in learning more. You can like click right on speaker resources at the top of the page and articles, webinars, tutorials, all kinds of good stuff. And you can sign up for the newsletter and start getting the information now. Yep, absolutely. So innovationwomen.com backslash newsletter. Make it easy. Yes, (laughs) And, and there's always great information and wonderful motivation, which are, you know, two things that I am all about. And again, you can go, I am at the Deb Method everywhere, and you can go to the devmethod.com slash goals to learn about more about me and how I can help you optimize your event experiences as an attendee to set those goals and turn your dreams into reality because you will be with the knowledge and the connections and uplift each other to live that life that you want. Okay, final thought, Bobby, final thought, Precious, and then we're going to wrap. Mm, just get out there. I mean, seriously, stand up, take the stage, be comfortable up there and understand what it does for you, your career and your business. And oh, by the way, bring a friend along. It's more fun that way. Oh, it totally is. Speaker friends need more speaker friends. It's like, and so on and so on. Speaker fr- Speakers need speaker friends. All day. All I agree day. with Bobby. I, your your net your net worth it. Your network is your net worth. So make sure that people know who you really are, and it makes it so much easier when they can refer you or hire you for things. So you hiding behind the, the scenes ain't gonna work. Let them know. They'll do your business development for you with pleasure because they know how to do it. So teach them how to do that. And respect your network, build relationships on real things and not transactional things. Somebody buys from you, that's only when you're talking to them. No, build a relationship. and You have someone who's going to rock with you for life. Be like NBA young boy, never broke again. Woohoo! 
Thank you again so much, Bobby and Precious, for joining me today. Thank you, whether you're listening or watching, for tuning in. Uh, you've chosen yourself, your goals. You want to get out of your comfort zone. So go on out there and go for it because we know you can do it. Thanks for listening to The Dev Show. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Need more inspiration and motivation? Connect with me on LinkedIn, follow at The Dev Method on social media, and check out thedevmethod.com. Best of luck with your goals, and remember, you can do it. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.